Welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 36 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Belinda Risley. Today, I have Miss Caroline Anderson, who is a psychologist and Olympian. She is the Director of Performance Edge Psychology and brings over 16 years of experience in both hospital settings and private practice, working with people with mental health issues, elite athletes, business leaders, and organisations. She's worked with the VIS, Australian Institute of Sport, Cricket Australia, and the AFL Players Association. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about performance anxiety. And as a special offer for you guys, we have an emotional race report that you can download over at motivatetraining.com.au. So grab your pen and paper. I assure you there's some fantastic tips about dealing with performance anxiety, especially when you're sitting on the grid, when you get that sick feeling um, and some strategies to how to overcome that. I really hope you enjoy this episode. As you're here, I'm going to have Caroline on again later this month to talk about mental health in motorsports. So without further ado, here's Caroline. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Belinda. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have you on today, um, as I have for all my guests. Uh, However, for for me, it's really exciting to have an athlete that's obviously um, now working, having a career as a sports psychologist. And so being able to really understand what an athlete goes to or goes through, sorry, uh, in order to be able to provide them with this expert information. So thank you again for coming on. Let's hear a little bit about you. How did you get started in your role? As a psychologist? Yes. Well, I've been a psychologist for about 15 years now. Um, I've always uh, had a passion and love for psychology. I think it was just something probably from about the age of 16 that I knew that I was quite interested in, just fascinated by human behaviour, why people do the things they do, mental health issues. I always had a real real interest and passion for it. I I was always, uh, well, initially um, for the first sort of, five to ten years of my career, um, I was interested in mental health and clinical psychology. So that that's kind of the area that I worked in. But I guess I did feel that, that something was missing um, and it was probably over the last sort of five, six years that I figured out what that was. And it was, I guess, honouring my sporting background that I guess now I'm really lucky that I get to combine the sports aspect with psychology. So I'm, I feel very, yeah, just very happy and excited and um yeah I just feel like it's a really beautiful alignment that I get to utilize both my passions in life in my work every day um yeah so I've been doing more of the sports side um yeah probably for the last five or six years fantastic and so you were Olympian at the 2004 games um what was your kind of like mental training like back then what kind of things were you doing as an athlete it's really interesting because I, I was training to be a psychologist at the, actually at the, at the 2000 Olympics, I was almost fully qualified. So I think I had a month to go. So just when I got back from the Olympics, I was a fully registered psychologist. Um, but it really surprises me how little I did use in all honesty. Um, I guess back then I, I was so focused on the physical preparation of, of in my sport. And I think it's a real trap having been there myself that a lot of athletes get into. 
I, I got into my sport a bit later in life and I think I always felt like I had to catch up. I had to put those hours in. I put uh, so much emphasis on the physical. Not to say that I didn't put, put a, you know, uh, not that I didn't work mentally, but it just wasn't, I guess, what I would be doing now if I had my time over again. The other aspect was, I guess, things that, you know, a lot of the research and a lot of the information has changed in the last sort of 10, 15 years. So I was seeing a sports psychologist through the Victorian Institute of Sport. It was just sort of part of something that I felt was important. I needed that emotional support, um, managing the pressure and dealing with a whole range of issues leading up to the Olympics. But I guess I think not that it wasn't helpful. Um, the psychologist was lovely, really supportive. But I think that the strategies that psychologists were using back then are, are quite different to what we're using today. So I guess in terms of really managing um, some of the peak performance aspect, I think some of the things just didn't really cut it for me in some ways. Um, and I can explain a bit more about that uh, later on or now. But, um, yeah, I just think that the, the, the processes are a little bit different now. Yeah, I'd love to hear about how, how, how they have differ um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, so I guess back then, um, look, a lot of the, there was obviously an emphasis on um, relaxation, visualisation, um, routines and so on. And I feel like that's really basic. I think I would hope that most athletes at a, at a reasonable level just implement that stuff sort of just regularly anyway. So I found that stuff kind of quite basic. But I guess the real issue that I struggle with, I guess now even, is that what was really being promoted was this idea of positive self-talk. And um, this, this thing really gets my goat because it, we can't just naturally, we can't just sort of replace our thoughts. We can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to have positive thoughts now. And there's a real emphasis in society and in sport that we've got to be positive. But the, the real, the hard-fitting hitting fact is that all athletes at some point, I've worked with athletes from local level to international to Olympic level, and they do have self-doubt. They do have thoughts that we would classify as negative, you know, doubting ourselves. Yes, it's a very, very normal, normal yeah. um, phenomenon in sport um, and in life, really. Yes. And I think it can get a bit um, tricky or almost dangerous to say we're not allowed to have those thoughts. You've got to battle with them. You've got to try to get rid of them you've got to try to think positive you've got to try to replace thoughts all the research now says we can't just replace or change a thought yeah so and that's something that I think it didn't and it also didn't normalize it for me no one said to me everyone was always saying you know be positive you know and that's great um, it's, it's nice to be positive but no one was saying look it's really normal to be really nervous going into your first Olympics um, I didn't have sort of any anyone explaining the processes how other people have experienced it that, that that's a really normal phenomenon I mean I, I guess I knew that I assumed other people might be nervous but no one was talking about it and you know you arrive in an Olympic village and there's these amazing athletic people everywhere I mean I'm just little old Caroline from Melbourne you know I think on some respects, I was like, oh, wow, they all look really confident and amazing and like great Olympic athletes, but I'm just me. I think for confident, would you say? Yeah, like, yeah. And it's not that I didn't have confidence within my sport, but it's at times that, of course, that was going to be questioned or challenged because that's, that's natural human, uh, that's how humans work. And I think, again, no one was kind of um, explaining that to me. And I think one of the things that I love talking to athletes about is it's great to be confident, but confidence 
doesn't actually um, align perfectly with performance. So we can feel really confident and perform well, but we can also feel really confident and perform badly. We can, we can have really low confidence, but perform excellent. And we can have low confidence and also not perform well. So the, 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 the idea of, I think athletes like to feel confident going into something, but it's not directly correlated. And I think we, and I think sometimes it puts that undue pressure on us that we have to be feeling a particular way going into a competition or a race or whatever it is. And I think that's an important thing to understand that that's not necessarily the case. Well, <laughs> thanks for that information there, Carolina. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of those drivers, um, I can hear be shaking their head in a great with exactly what you're saying there about turning up to a race meeting, um, you know, confident with whether it's the track, whether it's the other competitors they're racing against, whether it's the weather condition, mm. um, the class that they're actually racing. But, you know, once they get on the track, um, you know, different things can affect their performance and it's not so much even in their mindset. It could be the cart performing. It could be the car's performance. It could be, you know, other people's lack of driving ability um, on the track. And I think that's one of the biggest things about how, how can they control their thoughts, I guess, and their performance when there's external influences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of factors at play, obviously, in sport and particularly motorsport. Um, it's, it's sort of what, what I would call a high cognitive demanding sport because there's so many variables coming in. I mean, different, you know, there's many different sports out there, but motorsport is probably one of the highest cognitive loading sport because of all the information that these, you know, the drivers have to process in the spot. And, and confidence, you know, coming back to that point, it's just a feeling you know, and it feels nice to feel confident going into a competition or a race, but it's not going to dictate the outcome unless we, we read into that. We can, and all those other things that we said, we can often read something into them. So, oh, this is my lucky track, or this is, you know, this is my lucky shirt, or this is, you know, the weather that suits me today. But all those things can become a bit superstitious, um, you know, in our belief systems. It's not necessarily fact. Yeah. And so, I believe that there's a lot of stigma um, around having a sports psychologist. Um, and I think it's just more through lack of knowledge and awareness of what services and benefits an actual sports psychologist can offer. I think because it says psychologist, that people feel like they only engage with them uh, when they feel like something's wrong. But can you share with some of those benefits and services actually offer sports psychologists? Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. I think we've got a bit of a branding issue. Sometimes I think I should just call myself a, you know, a mental skills coach or something. Um, but look, I think the word psychology is valuable because it does show something about um, it's a very um, difficult process to be registered as a psychologist. You know, it takes many years of, of training and study. So there is something about it does show that we're not just kind of making this stuff up. There is a, a high degree of expertise um, and skill and, and training in under that title. But Belinda, I love what you've just said. I think it's very true that traditionally, and if you think back to the last 50 years of psychology, um, we, you know, predominantly psychology was about dysfunction. So getting people who were having, like you said, problems, whether that was mental health issues, relationship issues, whatever it was, and trying to resolve or work through those problems. But like a lot of things in life, there's a broad spectrum. So that's not the only way that, that psychologists work people. And there's now a lot of um, psychologists working in the field of either positive psychology or performance psychology. And that's working with normal everyday people who don't have a problem, but they realise they want to get something better out or want to perform better. 
And, and that's the same with performance or sports psychology. That, so we can think of quite a few high-profile examples of people who clearly don't have a problem with performance. So one that springs to the top of my mind is um, Lydia Lassler. She's an, a five-time Olympian uh, aerial skier. Now, people would say, well, she's obviously a fantastic skier, but she knew that that mental side was always really important to be working on, even though there was no particular problems. And I don't know her person, you know, I don't, I'm not talking her case specifically, but I do know that she's worked with performance um, coaches in the past, just working on that mindset and mind, mind skills. So I think it's such a, um, an important thing to uh, understand that I think anyone who's working at, um, at a high level sport sort of can utilise those mental skills to get um, better out of themselves, just like we would utilise physio, massage, um, strength and conditioning to support and complement our um, training. Sports psychology or mental skills is exactly the same thing. Yeah, and we've previously mentioned it in a, another conversation about Scott McLaughlin um, having a, um, a sports psych in 2018, which, you know, most people say um, would help him, had helped him win the actual championship because um, he wasn't losing. Um, he was winning a lot of races, but because of his defeat um, in 2017 of winning the championships, he just had that communication or, or relationship with the sports psych to help him get through 2018. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously with someone of that experience, there are still things that we can do, can do to solidify and structure our mindset, our routines, our pre-race uh, lead up during the race, how to overcome problems. Like, there's so many things that even with someone with a lot of experience can still tweak or, or work on just to really um, develop that skill set. And at what stage in someone's sporting career, Caroline, do you think it's best for them to start engaging in their sports psychologist? Well, that's a really interesting question. Look, as I said before, I've, I've worked with um, athletes from all levels, I guess. Um, so, so from local level footy clubs or cricket right up to, to international and, as I said, Olympic or um, whatever. So I don't think that there's any particular stage that someone has to present um, I think it really depends on the circumstances and what they're wanting. I think a lot of the people that come at the, um, who are more at a local club level um, sport would probably, I guess I'm just thinking off the top of my head, they would probably be coming because there is an issue. And the issues um, may be around men a specific mental health issue outside of sport or a lot of the time what I see is performance anxiety related issues. And so performance anxiety is one of the things I love working on because it is very common. Um, so someone even who might be playing a, a, local, a local game of footy might be experiencing performance anxiety to the point of vomiting up, vomiting, because they're so nervous before each match. Um, so obviously that, that doesn't feel particularly nice. Um, so they might want to get some assistance with that. Yeah. Um, so that's a great sideline. We'll just get, head right down that performance anxiety way. I would say that that would be probably one of the biggest challenges that motorsport competitors have sitting on the grid ready to go out for, for their next event. What, what are some strategies that you can recommend for them to overcome that spew feeling? Nicely <laughs> <laughs> <I> put it. <laughs> well, look, absolutely. The first thing, um, well, there's, two things that I would always start with. One is normalising it, which is what I said before, because I think it's such a powerful thing to understand that you're not alone in that, that, um, you know, your competitors, people in, in all levels of sport are going to be feeling some degree of that at some point. I'm involved with the Australian Institute of Sport, um, a new program 
program that's coming through called the Gold Medal Ready Program. And it's a wonderful initiative getting um, uh, athletes ready for Tokyo 2020 in, in managing this exact sort of phenomenon. And um, one of the excellent things about this program is they've got about 30 past gold medalists from a range of different sports in, a, in Australia um, involved in the program as sort of like mentors, you know, to, to these athletes. And um, at the last camp that, that I was at in um, February, every one of those gold medal athletes, so people that have performed at the top of their sport internationally, shared with the room their own experiences of feeling anxious at times. So, you know, and, and, and just the extent of that. I think when we see someone going out and winning a gold medal, we go, oh, yeah, they were really confident. Oh, they knew what they were doing. Oh, they were expected. It's not the case. Like these are real people, just normal people who are going to feel that pressure and that, and it's going to manifest physically. So that the next, I think the normalization is really important that this, when, when you care about sport, you're going to get anxious yeah, to some, to some level. And that's really normal. And of course we know that that anxiety, some degree of stress response is really, really, really good for sport because, um, you know, it's adaptive. It helps us um, with our precision, for example, or decision-making because um, a lot of physiological changes happen in the body. So I guess that's my next point is understanding what's actually happening in the body. So a lot of the time, it just feels really kind of scary, you know, when your heart starts pumping or you feel sick in your stomach. But let's break that down. What's actually happening there? Um, a lot, particularly young athletes, may not really understand what this is. And then they might start to panic about these really yucky feelings that are happening in their body. So at a really simple level, it's our, our body's natural flight or flight response. And, and many people do know what that's about. It's about our survival instinct. And it's really great if there's a bear or a tiger coming to eat okay. us. But that same response kicks in, you know, at the start of a race, sitting, sitting in, the, in the vehicle, for example. And that's because, oh, look, there's a lot of reasons why that is. But ultimately, we, we don't want to make a mistake. Um, we don't want to lose. We don't want to be judged by other people. All those things can feel a little bit um, threatening, not threatening physically to our body like a bear coming to eat us, but it can feel a bit threatening and certainly scary and uncomfortable to our sense of identity or self-esteem and so on. And so that's why that, that flight or flight response really kicks in. So, of course, we, we know that our heart starts to pump. It gets blood and oxygen flowing to our vital organs, um, which is going to mean that you're going to be able to um, sort of have more precision on the racetrack, for example. It's, it's a shut, it shuts down our digestive system because we really don't need to be worrying about digesting our breakfasts or whatever. Um, we really need to be using all our energy cognitively, uh, so in terms of our brain or our body, getting through that race. So we don't really need the digestive system at that point. But the shutting down of the digestive system, it's like a reversal. It actually makes us feel pretty sick or yucky in the stomach. So again, that's why we get some of those physiological reactions. So I think doing that sort of education around what's actually happening in my body and why am I feeling this way is such an vital thing that, that athletes can, can learn um, as a first step. But I guess then there's a whole other range of things that we need to understand about performance anxiety so, um, and what we can do about it. Basically, we need to, to break down into three components. The first component is what's going on in our mind? What is our mind telling us? Because our thoughts are connected to, I guess, electrical impulses or changes which really produce those feelings. So let's unpack what are those thoughts. And usually what, what comes up for, for most of the athletes that I work with, I've, I've sort of grouped it into a few main 
groups of thoughts. So the first one I've classified as the what-if thoughts. The what-if thoughts are endless. What if I lose? What if I crash? What if I hurt myself? What if something terrible happens, yeah? And, and the what-if thoughts can be very powerful because it's almost like we imagine that little scene happening in, in front of us, right? Which, of course, is going to produce that flight or flight response, which makes us feel pretty yuck. So I think just understanding that those what-ifs are really normal in, in particularly high-pressure stakes, but in, in, any, in any time or any competition or race when we're going to be judged or evaluated, or also when there's any kind of risk of um, injury. So um, I work a lot with... Um, diving athletes um, and gym- gymnasts. So these guys are actually doing stuff with their body that's pretty physically demanding. And if they are doing a flip off a beam or a dive off a 10 meter platform, if they get it wrong, they're actually going to get hurt. So you can understand why that thought might be there. Or likewise with, I guess, uh, in racing. So it's really important to identify those thoughts and understand them and recognize them. Our thoughts are thoughts. They're not necessarily true. Yeah, we, we, we have lots of random thoughts. So we have to, uh, I guess, learn to recognise those thoughts and figure out whether they're helpful in that particular moment. And obviously, if we're getting distracted by those thoughts, if they're producing a really high um, cortisol and adrenaline level, which is that flight or flight response, they may not be particularly helpful as you're lining up on the starting grid. Um, so we learn ways of being able to recognise them, but also not buy into them. Yeah, because we can't predict the future. Only the race itself will, will tell us what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's actually, in some ways, a bit of a waste of time and energy getting caught up in a thought that we don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know if it's true or not. It feels pretty scary, but we can learn strategies and skills of uh, paying a bit less attention to it. One more, I'll just go quickly into to one more really important strategy for athletes and drivers to understand about um, that performance anxiety stuff is that, you know, anxiety itself can't harm us. It can feel uncomfortable. But the more that we embrace it and understand that it can be helpful for performance, allow some degree and accept that some degree of um, discomfort or anxiety is going to be there and do things like, you know, controlled breathing, resonant breathing. There's a number of breathing techniques that we can use just to help manage and settle down or reverse that flight or flight response. So there's some really, uh, I think, basic ways that we can begin to unpack this this anxiety piece in, in sport that's really normal. Oh, again, Caroline, thank you very much for those insights. They were fantastic. Just going back to point number one about controlling those thoughts. Um, is it a matter of writing them down and working them through them or is it just yeah, sitting there and visualisation? I know you were saying before yeah. about and trying not to do that, I guess, like to try yeah. not to think of the, the worst case scenarios. Yeah, there's lots. Look, I guess... There's many answers to that. There's lots of things that we can do. I think always start with understanding recognition and insight. So what you said is really good. I think leading, you know, all the athletes now listening can, can write down what are those thoughts telling them because you know as soon as you've, you've had experience, you know as soon as you get on the racetrack, you know what those thoughts are going to tell you. So let's let's identify them. And as I said, let's let's break them down into key themes. So there, there is the what-if thoughts, but there's also the fear of judgment thoughts. What's my coach? What's my parent? What are my friends? What are my teammates going to say about me if I perform or don't perform? Or, you know, how are they thinking about me or about my performance? So 
again, that, that thought is probably not particularly helpful, particularly as, as the race is about to start. But it's also we can't control what other people think and think about us. So, again, it's a bit of an unhelpful or unproductive kind of thought process. The other one, the other thought that, uh, that these are, I'm just trying to extrapolate those key themes. The other thought that I really um, work, that I commonly identify with most of the athletes um, that I work with is the thought about what if I'm not good enough? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a natural, normal response that humans have, okay? And it's, I, I think, a hopeful, hopefully there's a few athletes out there listening that go, oh, phew, what a relief, it's not just me. Because it feels like it's just us having that. It feels like I'm the only one. I look around, I see my competitors, they look like they, they, they have that confidence that we were talking about before. So maybe that means I'm not good enough. Or maybe because I'm so anxious before the race, maybe that means I'm not good enough. Yeah, it's not the case. It's that when the pressure's on and when we really care about something, when we want to perform, it's natural and normal for humans to, to doubt yeah. So again, if we can identify that we've got those thoughts coming up, then we can do something about them. But if we don't identify them, if we just take them as fact or as the truth, we're just going to listen to them and get really caught up in those thoughts, yeah, which then pulls us away from what we actually need to do before a race starts. Yeah, and so, I, no, go. <laughs> I was going to say, I, for me, after you're just saying that story, I think a good analogy would be, uh, and I can't think of her last name, but hopefully you can, is the swimmer Kate and yeah. the yeah. sisters the at the Olympics and the expectations that was on Kate to win the gold medal. You know, every the whole it was on the whole nation was on her back about winning her family, her friends, and and that was the first thing she said when she got out of the pool. Like, she was just apologetic for for not winning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really felt for that scenario. I think it was a really um, tough, tough thing. Look, when you're talking about one hundredths of a second, I guess also like in, in motorsport, you know, the, 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 the tiniest distraction or thought that pulls us somewhere else can, can have an impact. But not only that, I guess the amount, you know, that leading in the day before, how often is our thoughts, how often is that flight or flight response being, being activated? How much active recovery are we giving our body to be able to rest adequately for the big race? So it kind of, it gets kind of more complicated in some ways, but also it's kind of obvious that the more we get caught up in those thoughts, the more of a physical impact it can have. I guess it's like it tires us out emotionally and physically which is going to have an impact on that race by one hundredth of a second or whatever it is. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I could talk to you all day, Caroline, about lots of different things. Um, but I think because we've really touched base today on that performance anxiety, that we might finish up there and then I'm going to get you on another time and we'll talk about the mental health in athletes, if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love to come back here. Yeah, and I think mental health is, um, you know, it's gaining a lot of uh, interest and importance in sport and it's wonderful that, more and more sporting organisations are recognising it. So I'd love to come back and, and have a chat about that, sure. That would be fantastic because I do feel like that, unlike other sports, um, especially when a lot of the high-profile athletes have come out about having mental health concerns, um, no one yet, in, in this, definitely in Australian motorsport, has come out saying that they have any issues and concerns. So um, I feel like there's still a lot of stigma behind it, whether it's because of the type of the industry, um, whether it's because of the lack of the support they feel they've they, they don't have in place. So I'd really like to come back and, and, and delve more into that conversation. Oh, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me today. It's been a lovely conversation and I, I really appreciate it. 
and obviously you're a wealth of knowledge and you do do private um, consultations. So please tell our crew, how can they get in contact with you? Yep, so um, I'm based in Melbourne, in North Baldwin. I've got a clinic here um, that, I, that I'm the director of and I have a psychologist that works for me. Um, anyone can get in contact by popping on my website, performanceedgepsychology.com. Um, it's got all my information there. I'm happy to, you know, have a questions via my, um, if you want to email me or send a text, I'm happy to just answer people's questions. I do also pop a lot of information on Facebook or Instagram, um, just reminders about mental skills and performance. Um, if you want to check out my stuff at Performance Edge Psychology, that would be great. Yeah, and of course, all the links to Caroline's website and social media accounts will be in today's show notes. Before you do go, I do have one more question for you that came through uh, on our Facebook page. Um, what about overcoming fears of incidents? Do you have any advice around that? So incidents like a, a, a crash or something in the race, yeah. Look, as I said, that, that really taps in with that, that what-if story. What it means is, is that um, it just pulls our attention away from what we actually need to get done. So there, it's not, I'm not saying that these sports aren't actually, like there is some realistic concern there, you know, like I'd be a bit scared jumping into a, some of these cars, you, you know, that there is, and just like my, my drivers or my gymnasts, like, again, I, I don't think I'd jump off a 10 metre um, platform and, and do a triple flip or whatever the, you know, amazing stuff that they're doing. There is an element of freeze right we know this but i guess what what we have to understand is a probability that you know most of the time you guys have um have thousands of hours of training or, or hundreds of hours of training underneath your belt so we've got to trust that our body and, and muscle memory knows what it's doing so there's, there's that element of looking at the prob the statistics and the probability um but also just understanding that that those thoughts although they're natural they're going to to carry on as a distraction so particularly um we learn strategies around how to be present um this is the work that i do with my clients about remaining present and grounded what do i need to focus on how do i break down my my task into really um obvious pieces to pull me back into the present moment so what is it that i need to do i need to grip the steering wheel i need to observe my gauges i need to assess the course always um, coming back into that and i think particularly in motorsport we need to observe and, and um, understand what's going on around us we need to decide a course of action we need to act like if you break it down that that process has to be happening all the time in order to do the sport that you do so again i i think i see those thoughts although they're understandable as being a bit of a um uh they, they can pull us away from what we need to do and if, if we think about it in a really simple example if if someone's about to throw me a ball and i say don't drop the ball don't drop the ball don't drop the ball <laughs> what's what's likely to happen all right i, I, I may drop the ball and the reason is, is A, our, our brain doesn't hear don't. It just hears the task, yeah? So it just hears drop the ball, drop the ball, because don't is not, it's, a, it's not a thing that we can't imagine in a way. Um, but also it's taking me away from what I actually need to focus on, which is lifting up my hands, watching when the ball leaves the other person's hands. It's, it's taking away my task process um, focus. So I guess that really simple example might help with people understand what, what they actually need to do is focus, even though it's difficult, even though I'm, you know, it's natural to have those thoughts, but break down the tasks that they do need to focus on. 
fantastic tip to finish off today's podcast. Again, Caroline, I really appreciate your world of wisdom today. <laughs> I look forward to um, having you back on in a couple of more weeks. Uh, and thanks again. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Team. Until next time, take care.